Hello everyone and welcome to the Unorthodoxy podcast and to the last episode in our series on providence. I began to unpack something of the mystery of the created order and how this relates to God and the gifts he gives. There is the gift of being itself, which is good because it participates in the goodness that is God. And there is the gift of love too, which reflects the divine nature. Christianity, after all, claims not just that God loves, but that within his Trinitarian being, he is love. Then in the last episode, I offered a brief glimpse of the doctrine of atonement, the basic idea that the second person of the Trinity steps into history to heal what is broken. This is mainly a continuation of the doctrine of creation, not a radical break from it. Now, in this episode, I want to look at the mystery of God, and especially at, at how this relates somewhat to faith. In the first two episodes, I stressed what is known in theology as the absolute distinction between God and creation, between God as uncreated and creation as something secondary and dependent on God. One thing that this absolute distinction between God and his creation implies is that God is absolute and everything else is contingent. In other words, God is unchangeable being itself, while the created order is changeable, the realm of beings and thus also the realm of becoming. God is referred to in metaphysical terms as simple, and this really means simply that there is nothing about God that is not God. God is without parts. This must be the case if we are to believe that God is uncreated, since if God is composed of parts, we would have to assume that there are parts of God that are not God, and therefore God would have had to be created by something else. In which case, that so-called something else would need to be God. To get a little bit of a feel for this, it's helpful to look at language, how language works in terms of the doctrine of the Trinity. So, when God speaks, his word is himself. But the same simplicity is certainly not true of created beings like you and me. When I utter words, much to my annoyance sometimes, my words are not me. They are not even vaguely representative of my actual being. My words are highly relative, and they are reflective of a set of beliefs that are also highly relative. I don't mean, of course, that everything is absolutely relative, but that the truth of everything holds only insofar as it participates in the absolute truth of who God is and what he intends for the created order. And even then, everything remains relative. My beliefs do not become more absolute when I state the truth about, say, the fact that the t-shirt I am currently wearing is blue. My words correspond with the reality of my t-shirt, but my t-shirt itself is a swirling miniature cosmos of molecules and atoms inside a vast realm of relativities and relationships. But God's word is Christ, and Christ is in his very nature God, and the Spirit is in his nature also God, and it is out of this divine dance that creation itself is made and in which creation participates. To get a sense of this participation, it's helpful to keep in mind a metaphor from Edwin Abbott's book Flatland. In that story, Abbott presents, among other things, the idea of what would happen if two worlds in totally different dimensions were to interact, say a world entirely of two-dimensional beings and a world of three-dimensional beings. In particular, I want to work with this idea of dimensions. 
We all know and understand what two-dimensionality is, as when, for example, we are watching a two-dimensional screen with a two-dimensional animation on it. Even when three-dimensionality is represented, it has to be translated into two dimensions. We can only imagine the 3D world when we see this, but what we see is necessarily only a two-dimensional image. What helps us, of course, is that we imagine the two-dimensional representation of the three-dimensional from within a three-dimensional world, or four or five dimensions, depending on how you look at it. It is easy enough, that is, to imagine lower dimensions from the perspective of higher dimensions. But now, imagine for a moment that you are that two-dimensional character in Flatland, and a 3D character shows up. To be conceivable, that 3D character has to be translated into 2D language, and may constantly try to explain to you that the 2D world you live in is in fact not the only world there is, and in fact that there are dimensions that exist outside of what is immediately perceptible. In this imaginary scenario, the only world you know is the 2D world, so the 3D world is going to be almost completely incomprehensible. It will, at best, be something felt rather than strictly articulatable. You may also come to trust that the person who you perceive to be only 2D is, in fact, 3D. And I like this as a metaphor for what faith is about. Faith is interdimensional travel. It is a gift that allows us to conceive of that which does not conform to our expected flatland paradigm. As Kierkegaard does so well to point out, reason can take you pretty far, but at some point you have to take a leap into a mystery. You have to trust that what is imagined to be true is not merely imaginary. As Chesterton explains in his book Orthodoxy, the amazing thing about mystery is that while mystery itself may not be explainable, it is what makes everything else clear. Mystery is not rational, so to speak. It's not sort of something reducible to rationality, although it may be, to use Ken Wilber's language, transrational. But mystery nevertheless makes everything else more rational. It makes things make sense. Mystery is in a way like light that you cannot look directly at, but which you can see everything else by. There's a lot in our world that doesn't make complete rational sense, but faith, which is a gift from God, allows us to travel somewhat out of the obvious flatland that we live in into another world, one that is closer to God, even while it does not completely amount to being identical with God. It gets us to recognize the nature of the absolute distinction between God and the created order without us having to completely transcend the created order, because we will always be created beings. Faith is, in a way, a kind of mediation. Perhaps one of the most well-known arguments against God's providence is one that was put forward by J. L. Mackey in 1955. It has a somewhat flatlandish structure because it follows a, a kind of a mathematical formula, and I think this is significant. Mackey argues that if God is really omnipotent, he cannot possibly be good and that if he is good, he cannot possibly be omnipotent. Um, and it is an argument that flusters many people. But 
I would just like to point out that there really is no argument here at all. It is very much like a 2D character arguing against another 2D character without allowing for the possibility of a 3D character. Most obviously, the so-called argument is rooted in an anthropomorphism. It imagines a powerful human being and then quantitatively escalates that human being's power on a scale and then assumes that that is what it must mean for God to be all-powerful. And it does the same with goodness. In other words, it assumes no qualitative difference between God and creation, and so it imagines God as a finite ethical agent like all of us. We are always in danger of making an idol out of God, and here is a good case of that happening. But to invent such an idol, a kind of straw god rather than a real one, and then to use it as a way to support your atheism or even just your theological doubts just seems to me like bad thinking. So to point out the obvious, whatever God is, he is not a kind of hyper-being. He is transcendent goodness itself. He is a mystery. And in fact, any theology of suffering would have to account for the fact that it is possible for God to be at work in a transcendent fashion, even in terrible things. This is not to claim something obscene along the lines that God is the author of evil, but that his providence is evident often in ways that univocal reason cannot account for. It takes faith, that is, interdimensional travel, to be able to see how God might be at work in us through even the worst of things. So, what does this mean for being abandoned to divine providence? Well, it means that our primary mode of interpreting events in our time and our lives must be via the mode of faith. Faith is really quite a practical thing. I have faith in the chair I am sitting on right now, and faith that the world that I perceive through my senses at least somewhat resembles what my senses tell me. But faith goes further than the senses. It teaches us that God is manifest in all things. It teaches us that behind the world is the God who is love itself, the God who is constantly creating and remaking the world. Yes, entropy is real, but it is not the last word. Faith teaches us not to worship our own illusions. So I think faith opens us up to a double movement, an acceptance and letting be of what is before us and a renunciation of it. I accept that I have gone through bad and good, accept that trauma and grace are part of my human experience, but I renounce both as contingent. I accept right now and I'm grateful that my body is healthy, but I renounce my body by accepting that it is finite and so will in all likelihood at some point let me down. I accept that I am capable of loving the people who are placed before me, but I renounce them, recognizing that at some point they will not be here. So there is a kind of acceptance of the gift of that person as, as a manifestation of God's creative love, but also a renouncing of them as absolute in any way. Only God is absolute. The will of God is that we place everything in his hands. So what is our job in this world? Well, put a little bit differently from what I've already said, the focus needs to be on what is needed in this moment. We are 
all hugely prone to clinging and judging what we go through, but the life of faith is a life of letting go and letting be. This is always paradoxical. For example, I can take my job seriously, do it as best as I am able, make sure that I am excellent at it. But in a sense, it really is just a game, and I should not regard it as anything more than just a passing phase in a world of becoming. I'm required to be attentive to the world that presents itself to me in this present moment. It's a gift from God and a portal to his heart of love, but I'm also required to renounce the same world. I've been thinking recently about the message of John the Baptist as it is described in the Gospel, according to John. In the first chapter of that Gospel, John the Baptist is mentioned as if the whole point is to get him out of the way. This is brilliantly done by the writer of that Gospel and then also by John the Baptist himself. The writer mentions John and then he moves on very quickly to describe what Jesus is all about. And then John the Baptist shows up in the story to tell people that he is not the Christ. It's kind of a funny thing. He shows up to say that he is not the point. It's as if he's saying, here I am and I'm speaking, but please don't listen to me. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? I know there's a lot in the question of providence that remains mysterious to me, but the more I've thought about it, at least in terms of the question of what it means to be abandoned to divine providence, the more this seems to be the essence. Our job is, like John the Baptist, to bear witness to the light. We have to show up to point out that we are not the point. The call is for a constant humility before circumstances. We will, after all, go through wonderful and terrible things. But faith will remind us that there is a mystery beyond all of it, and our job is to be abandoned to this mystery. I get that this is in many ways an incomplete series on providence. Um, In fact, I, I got to a point of realizing that any series I do on divine providence would be incomplete, but I hope you see at least the central principle that has guided my thinking. Providence is predominantly about who God is and how that is evident through what he does to reveal his nature, through the grace of creation and the grace of faith. I guess human beings will always be in danger of making providence about what God does for them, as if God is merely a divine slot machine of sorts. But faith teaches us that the core of the question of providence is not about us. At least, if it is about us, then it is only about us insofar as it is about how we seek and find God in order to participate in his love. It is about showing up to not be the point. I hope this short series has been somewhat encouraging and illuminating, um, and I hope even more than that, that it sparks some seeking and finding of your own. In the next few episodes, I'm going to be looking at some Q&A, some, some questions that some of you have asked me, and I will give my, my perspective on those questions. I think it's going to be fun, because we're going to be covering a whole lot of really interesting territory. I hope you're able to join me for that. Take care, everyone.